What's going on, FA Nation? Dan Malin here, joined by Mike Alexander. He is Fantasy Alarm's resident MMA DFS cornerman. He also does a lot of content on Wager Alarm, which we will get to shortly because he's just been pumping it out this week. Mike, how are you? Uh, how excited are you for UFC 261? I'm good, Dan. We got a, a live event going on. Uh, you know, not going to question whether that's right or wrong it's simply happening it's going to be in florida uh, so it, it'll be that that old ufc feel of excitement in the crowd and you know you won't hear the thudding kicks and body shots quite as much but uh i i think it's a nice trade-off to get to hear people cheering for a change and and a triple title fight uh card you know that's that's a rarity so um some some big stuff pulling out uh the stops here for the the first fight with with folks back in the in attendance at full capacity Full capacity? I was wondering if they were going to do like 50%. I mean, because I, I was pretty honest with you before we started recording. Like, outside of the championship fights and a few fights in the main card, I really haven't looked at the fights too in-depth. We're recording this Thursday night. I usually do deeper dives into MMA DFS, usually Friday night, Saturday morning. But they're going to do full capacity for, for this fight? Yeah, I mean, I think there is some kind of clearance that they need. You know, I, I think they're saying it's going to be 15,000 fans um, and – supposed to certify something that they've either been vaccinated or tested you know gotcha. i'm guessing it's like you're buying the ticket and you got to check a box and be like yeah i'm cool and that's, <laughs> that's as far as uncle that's dana so needs Florida. to know you you say you're good <laughs> uncle dana trusts you so um you know it, it's gonna be uh that that's not that you know unless it's a, a huge mega fight that's not that far off from a regular ufc crowd all right. Well, huge card this weekend. Three title fights on the line. Uh, before we dive into analyzing each fight, and yes, I know on the last few podcasts we only broke down the main card. Today we are going to be doing an analysis on each fight. Uh, but as as we kind of trickle down and as the podcast pairs down to to the prelims, uh, we'll go a little bit faster just to you know just to not bore you too much. But if you haven't checked out Wager Alarm this week, Mike Alexander has been pumping out articles almost daily just prepping you for ufc 261 how you should properly bet it uh questions you should ask yourself before you submit your bets mike is there anything you want to elaborate on that i might have missed pretty much the the you know the wager alarm folks wanted me to help you know mma betters that might be coming to the sport uh and, and explaining some of my process and, and how i go about picking bets because you know picking fights is not that hard you can you know if you were going to go through 10 fights, you could probably get eight right. But, um, you know, knowing where, where values are and, and the traps to stay away from. Um, so, you know, I had two nice pieces, I think, that are very helpful questions to ask yourself when placing a bet. Um, you know, one, one a little more simple and one a little more in-depth. So um, check those out. All right. Now we have 13 fights on this card. None have been canceled so far. I, uh, or has one? Have we lost one? Did we lose Munoz? We, we haven't lost any yet. Uh, the one we're going to keep a very close eye on is the Carl Roberson Brendan Allen fight. Roberson, uh, I think he missed weight all three times he was supposed to fight Marvin Vittori, and they finally just fought because he got close enough. Um, <laughs> but like the UFC didn't make him go to 205. I mean, he's made 185 before. I don't know if he was just being a dick or. He is a big dude. He's very cut, but uh, you know that's that's something to to keep a pretty close eye on because you gotta you really gotta hit one ninety or the fight. Uh, it, it, the commission may not want that to go on, and with thirteen fights, they're not going to care. 
All right, now uh, we will start breaking down the fights right here. We'll start with the the main event. It's you could make an argument that either of these fights should be in the main event. Uh, the big one is Kamara Usman versus Jorge Masvidal. Usman coming in at ninety four hundred. Masvidal coming in at sixty eight hundred. Uh, I saw a pretty interesting Twitter exchange between you and a good friend of ours, Ryan Larkin, on uh, Twitter earlier today. Uh, it it seems like Masvidal could be mailing it in of sorts. He's he's launching his bare knuckle promotion um you kind of made it seem like he could be checked out i don't really necessarily like to assume that a fighter is checked out but we've seen this once before with masvidal taking the fight on short notice and and usman winning pretty easily in my opinion do you see this fight shaking out similarly i mean i don't really have much faith in masvidal pulling pulling out the win yeah i i think it is a pretty similar fight you know, Usman just does little things better than Masvidal. Um, Masvidal, he gets both underrated and overrated. You know, I, I, he's one of those lightning rod type fighters that people either love or hate. Um, he's done a lot to give away all of the brand equity he gained by taking care of Ben Askren with a, a vicious knee. Uh, you know, that, that made him a, a cult hero. And, um, you know, he's kind of like... He's very into MAGA and, uh, you know, some stuff like that. And, and he just kind of turned people off. And the stuff I'm talking about is, like you said, he's, he's launching a bare-knuckle fight promotion down in Florida and Miami. Um, you know, he's, he's like, showing up at McDonald's drive through which I'm sure he's getting paid a chunk of coin to, to do that and post on his social media. Um, but, you know, you're in a fight camp. You shouldn't be going to McDonald's. And, you know, maybe he didn't even eat the McDonald's. Um, you know, uh, that's neither here nor there. Stuff like that. It's just, it's a weird feel. It's like he knows this is his his high watermark and it's time to cash the checks that he can cash. And the other side of that coin, you know, more power to him. Uh, he He's, you know, he came up as a, as a, literally a street fighter. He was fighting people for free in backyards of Kimbo Slice. Um, so, you know, to, to be able to, to put some coin in his pocket, he's, he's getting on in years. More power to him for that. Um, as far as the fight goes, you know, Usman, he's slowly been moving away from his power wrestling. He's getting older himself. He's got not the best knees, and, and wrestling does take a toll on that, not only in fights, but but training it and, and keeping it as sharp as it needs to be. Uh, it's difficult. So, um, you know, it, he probably fights a similar game plan where he doesn't necessarily power wrestle for five rounds. He's going to just control the fight, control Masvidal, keep him against the cage when he needs to. Um, Usman's very long. He's got a pretty decent jab. His striking has come a long way. You know, it's just a little too much for Masvidal. I, I guess the paths for Masvidal are, one, obviously a knockout. Um, he's not going to come out here and flying knee Kamara Usman. That was, you know, don't want to say a fluke, but and absolutely pulled it out of his butt kind of thing uh, against Askren, and Askren ducked into a knee in the opening seconds of a fight. So um, you don't expect that to happen in the UFC often. You know, can, can he can he knock him out in the stand-up? We've seen Usman you know, get a couple of nice chin checks from Gilbert Burns, and, and even Masvidal early on in their first fight. You know, he, he got he got Usman's attention in a couple spots. So, um, you know, it's it's not something that... It is outside of the realm of possibility, but it's just hard to bank on a knockout um, at this level. Usman's got such good movement. Uh, he's such good control. It's just really hard to, to say, like, I, I like Jorge Masvidal to win by knockout. 
Um, his his I think his best best path is actually to kind of duplicate what Colby Covington did against Usman of, you know, make it a stand up fight, make them striking exchanges, keep it very close. You just got to win on some of the judges scorecards and then you got to go out in the fifth and win the fifth round. Mm -hmm. Um, Could that happen? Sure. You know, that that Covington fight seems like such a blowout in retrospect went because Usman knocked him out, but it was a very close fight. Um, It was turning in Usman's favor and and I believe the scores were three to one. So even if it went to decision, it was going to be Usman's hand getting raised. But uh you know, it was touch and go there. You, you weren't sure who was winning. It was just a great fight. And I could see Masvidal getting, you know, the most out of himself and, and being ready for this with a full fight camp, being ready to shut down the wrestling, make it just a kickboxing fight. It, it could be a really good fight. Um, so, you know, it, it's not going to necessarily play out the same way. That that often isn't the case, I, I feel like, in MMA. You know, that's not – it's just not likely that fights go the same way. Now, you know – that doesn't mean there's going to be a quick knockout or a submission or something like that. It just could could have a different dynamic. But, um, you know, I, I think Usman is the safe pick. Um, and it, it, if I'm going to stack a fight, this is probably the one I'm interested in. That given was that my I, next I, question. Yeah, I, I don't think either of these guys is going to get finished. They're very tough individuals. They're very solid all around. Um, and, and Usman with the wrestling, even if he loses, like he could score 60 points. So. All right, we'll move on to the next championship fight since you already asked my stackability. Uh, you already answered the stackability question. Uh, UFC strawweight championship between Weili Zhang and Rose Namajunas. Uh, Zhang is coming in at 9,000 on DraftKings, which actually seems okay um, in her last four fights. She's returned, I think this is based on the new DraftKings scoring, she's returned 90 points in each, at least 90 points in each of the four fights. Uh, Rose is a former champion herself. Um, she's won four of her last five fights. Uh, two have come via decision. One was via knockout slash technical knockout. And another was a submission. Um, so you have to like the, the, the price tag on Rose strictly from the fact that you know, I was reading your, uh, your five, uh, deeper questions that you need to ask yourself, uh, for the wager alarm article. And one of your points was, is that, you know, typically the underdogs in the championship fights are better than, you know, the underdogs in the the prelims and, and just that are further down in the card. And so I'm looking at Rose, a former champion at 7,200. And that's probably one of the better underdogs that you could probably be looking at. But at the same time, like I understand, like Zhang has plenty of ways to win this fight. Um, she's, she's looked very good. I understand Rose is 7,200 for a reason, but at the same time for a GPP, like that's kind of a fighter that I'm willing to look at. I don't know if I want to take it in cash. Um, I kind of agree with you that Usman and Masvidal is probably the, the championship fight to stack. Um, cause we have expressed our concerns with stacking women's fights in the past. Um, especially for cash games. And there's, there's two women's championship fights. It's just, we typically don't see these finish. How likely are we to see a finish in this fight? I think the finish would probably have to come on Zhang's side. Uh, you, you know, you, you hit the nail on the head that out of all three title fights, Rose has probably, you know, got the best shot. And, you know, she's right there between Kazula Vargas and Anthony Smith uh, at 7,200. So, you know, you read those names and you're like, yeah, sure. Put put Rose Namajunas in my lineup. I think the problem is that uh, that's going to be a pretty popular sentiment. Like, okay, I need to save some money. I'm trying to get some some title fight, you know, favorites here. Um, 
who do I use? Rose Namajunas. She, she's got a good shot to win this fight. Um, so, you know, if you're trying to win a GPP, I don't know that you do it with Rose um, unless she comes out and just starches Wei Li Zhang. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, you know, the, the, the dynamic of the fight is that Rose has got better boxing than anybody in the division and maybe even women's MMA. I mean, she's just super long and, and smooth and can piece anybody up for one round, maybe two. Problem is, you know, we saw what Jessica Andrade did to her after about a round and a half. Jessica Andrade was just like, I'm done getting punched in the head and I'm just going to slam Rose. And, you know, Rose was very passive in, in defending takedown and was happy to kind of like, hold her position with a Kimura lock. Was this got, the first fight with Andrade? Yeah, it, it okay. got picked up and thrown on her neck. Yeah, like, right. I, thought, I yeah. thought we saw somebody die in the octagon right there. Like, Rose just went unconscious and limp, and it was, like, stomach-curdling. Um, so that's the kind of stuff that can happen with Rose, because she's not, she's not a bully. Um, Zhang Weili is a bully. She, you know, she went out there against Joanna and Jacek, and Joanna knowing that, that that was her last title shot. Like, Joanna's not getting another title shot ever unless the division, you know, all decides to retire. <laughs> so, like, she left it in the cage. And it was all-time great fight. I mean, you know, Joanna's head looked like it grew a, you know, a second head because it was so bruised up from, from Zhang's elbows and, and constant battering. So, um, you know, Zhang Weili is, is one of the... the great fighters in women's MMA at the moment. I, I, the way I see this playing out is Rose probably wins the first and maybe the second I, I, behind some clean striking. She's probably going to be able to prevent the grappling. But as the fight goes on and Zhang realizes like, okay, I've got to get aggressive. Uh, that's a problem for Rose because sure. She'll box her up, up to the point that Zhang is now inside of her range, grabbing a hold of her, possibly grappling dirty boxing, uh, throwing those, those signature elbows and, and battering Rose. And, you know, the, the, the knock on Rose is the mental aspect. It's, you know, she doesn't, she quits in there. I don't want to say quits. She doesn't quit. She's, she's got a, a kind of a frailty to her that like, she just doesn't want to be in a, in a brawl. Um, I don't blame her. I don't want to be in a brawl. I don't want to get punched in the head. Um, but you know, that's, that, that's kind of where she is at times. And there's other times where, like, you know, in her last fight with Jessica Andrade, she survived a, a third-round beating. You know, Jessica Andrade was just winging haymakers over the top. Rose couldn't figure out how to answer them and just took a beating for an entire round. And she did show the toughness. So it's, it's not a sure thing that, that that's going to happen with Rose. Um, so, you know, you, you don't know what you're necessarily going to get. I don't love some of the outside of the ring stuff going on with Rose. Like she's making comments about the communist party in China. And like, I don't know if it's her, her, you know, misguided attempt at selling the fight or if she genuinely feels like that. Cause she has a background uh, where, you know, there's some communism and uh, yeah, it's, it's just kind of like, that's just talk about the fight. Just talk about, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go out and smash and, you know, do that typical way to sell the fight. Don't, don't, make it a political thing. That's not fun. So, you know, I, I, I worry where Rose's head might be at, but um, it's going to be a fun fight. Uh, I think the way to attack this one is to probably 
Um, if you're going to bet it, bet Rose Namajunas as the underdog. And then after the first round, the odds are probably going to get much closer if Zhang doesn't go out and smash her. And then you can hedge out with, with Zhang. Um, so you might get a little guaranteed money there. All right. That was a stellar breakdown. Uh, we'll move on to the next championship fight. We have the Women's Flyweight Championship between Valent- Valentina Shevchenko and Jessica Andraj. Uh, Shevchenko coming in at a stellar $9,500 which means Andrade is way down at 6,700. Um, pretty cut and dry here. I mean, Shevchenko's coming in with six straight wins. Um, 9,500 is a really, really tough price tag to pay off. And, you know, you're really hoping for a first-round win with a, an, an okay amount of volume. I mean, if she wins inside the first minute, you know, you're sitting pretty. But 9,500 is a tough price tag to swallow. Definitely. That does interest me a little bit, though, because you've got Usman at 9,400, you know, Zhang at 9K. You know, people are probably going to reach for one of those fighters, Mm -hmm. even uh, Rangju, um, you know, a little bit of of an unknown, but they might just say like, okay, he could beat a really bad opponent. Um, So, you know, how many people are going to feel the need to pay up for Valentina? Because there's two other title fights. You don't feel the need to get a piece of this title fight. And Jessica Andrade is a dangerous fighter. Um, I think this is an awful matchup for Andrade. Like, her whole ring uh, game plan is to just come forward, be aggressive, power wrestling, big punches. Um, But she's super hittable. Valentina Shevchenko is the best counterpuncher in women's MMA. Like she will pick you apart if you come at her aggressively. So it's a lot of this is going to depend on Andrade. Does she come out in the first, in the first round like that? Or does she kind of look to grapple a little bit? Um, you know, realizes it's five rounds and, and doesn't try to hit the gas right away. If she comes out the way she did against, uh, Weili Zhang, it's going to be a pretty similar, um, outcome she's going to get knocked out in the first and and it'll be a quick knockout um you know could andrage pull out pull off the upset you know i don't think she's knocking out shivchenko but she's got the power to probably knock out anybody but like she doesn't set it up she just is going to wing power at you and i don't think shivchenko a world-class kickboxer is going to get caught off guard could she take her down and maybe submit her that's probably her most likely path but Shevchenko's gotten really good at the grappling. She's a pretty good uh, BJJ player herself. Um, so I don't think that happens either. And, you know, you, you, we've kind of, we got used to um, Valentina scoring so so lightly on DraftKings because nobody really gave her a challenge. Like Caitlin Chikagian, you know, mm-hmm. just makes tennis sounds, doesn't really look to fun. <laughs> <laughs> Liz Carmouche, like, is a one-dimensional grappler and couldn't outgrapple Shevchenko. Um, but Jessica I, before that, she blasted out of there right away. Uh, had a great five-round fight with Joanna and Jacek. Um, you know, probably the most lopsided fight in women's MMA history. She fought Priscilla Cachoeira off of a loss to Amanda Nunez and destroyed her. Um, <laughs> you know, Jennifer Maya, her last fight, like she's got big scores in the past. And and Jennifer Maya was probably one of her closest fights since the Nunez loss, just because Maya landed one takedown and, and had some control time. 
And Shevchenko didn't look like she felt the need to really rush things or get a finish. So I think people kind of have a bad taste in their mouth from that. So I'm, I'm kind of interested in Shevchenko as, as uh, from all three of the champions. Like, I think she's kind of got the best leverage. So very interesting. Very, very interesting. All right. So uh, we move on to the remaining 10 fights that are going to be for three rounds. Uh, still on the main card, we've got Uriah Hall and Chris Weidman. Uh, Pretty close in price tag, and I'm not sure how to read this fight because I I understand Chris Weidman's not necessarily the fighter that he once was. I know they're going to hype up both guys, but at the same time, I feel like this could be a bit of a dud. Um, yeah, Hall is 8300, Weidman's 7900. For the most part, I've I've built three lineups right now, just you know from the eyeball test. Neither of these guys have made my lineups. Yeah, like Weidman's that dude out on the basketball court at the rec league trying to, to hold on to the glory days and, and <laughs> you know, just can't even hit a layup at this point. Um, I mean, his wrestling is still good. He's he's still a very good wrestler. That's never going to leave him. It's it's technique. It, it's know-how. It's grit. He's got it. Uh, his problem is that he's taken some enormous knockouts in his UFC career. Um, you know, and in most of these knockouts, he's been winning the first two rounds. It's mm-hmm. just the guys realize they're down that he's facing in the third round. They come out and they say, all right, I just got to go hit this guy as hard as I can on the chin. And he gets knocked out big time. You know, um, Jacare Souza, huge knockout. Uh, you know, it might have even been knocked out twice uh, in that exchange. Um, Yoel Romero, I mean, life changing knockout. Uh, Luke Rockhold it took the title off of him in a fourth round knockout. Uh, Gigard Musasi nasty knees to knock him out um it's it's you know you you just your brain can't take that kind of trauma and and expect to not feel the ill effects um last time out he got things back on the right track returned back to 185 this the division they're fighting at here uh, against a mariak madoff looked great the first round good wrestling Gassed in the second round, which was really rare for Weidman. I don't know if it was the return to 185 or if it's just that he's getting older and the endurance isn't what it was. Um, But uh, he managed to come out in the third and hit an immediate takedown because as somebody who had Akhmadov bet, I was like, here it is. Here we go. My bet's about to cash because Weidman is gassed. But Akhmadov was equally gassed, it turned out. One takedown was enough to clinch the third round, and uh, that was the end of the fight. So on the other side, you got Uriah Hall, a guy who has his struggles with grappling, not not a hard person to control with the grappling, but that's because he's a striker, and he has got the fastest hands in probably the UFC, crazy power. Um, you know, his knockout highlight reel is just some sick kung fu stuff. Um He's just a slow starter, so he's going to lose the first round, probably. Could he lose the second round? Probably, too. In the third round, if he can you know, manage to get some striking exchanges, there's every chance that he knocks Chris Weidman out in the third round. And, and in fact, like the books are not giving you a very good number to, to bet Hall by a third round uh, victory, and that's pretty rare to, to not be getting a big number on a picking a round. So, you know, another hedge spot here, like I... I probably want to have um Weidman bet and then hedge out with Uriah Hall halfway through the second all right uh we'll move on to the next fight and this is a fight where I think we're getting uh, some pretty solid value from the favorite uh Jimmy Crew is 8900 he's going against Anthony Smith 7300 
Feels like just yesterday, uh, I remember doing a podcast previewing Anthony Smith's fight. I think it was against Glover Teixeira. I think mm-hmm. last May, uh, we were talking about how some guy broke into his house. You know, uh, Smith had to like fight or scare him away. Yeah. That was kind of the narrative going into it for for that particular fight night, and that was around the time when you know sports were starting to come back. It was like MMA and NASCAR that were coming back, and so had a lot of shares of Anthony Smith for that fight. Uh, since then, he just hasn't really looked the same. I know he's coming off a win in November against Devin Clark, a uh, first-round submission win. Ultimately here, if you just look at Jimmy Crute's resume and his time uh, from Dana White's Contender Series up until now, he's got six fights. He's won five of them, four of them in the first round. Um, you know, even finished smiling Sam Alvey in the first round. I know Sam Alvey's not the greatest competition, but very likable dude. Um 8900 just seems to be a little criminal for Crute's price tag in this fight. Am I wrong? Yeah, I think it's just kind of because of the title fights and how big some of the odds are there. Um, and that, you know, they they want the five-round fights to be big price tags because they've got chances to rack up more stats. So, you know, it kind of pushes Crute to this spot. Um, they generally just follow the, the you know, the, the pricing from the, the betting markets. Um, but yeah, I, I think Jimmy Crute is going to destroy Anthony Smith. I mean, whatever Smith has left, I think he's going to be leaving it in the octagon. Um, Jimmy Crute, savage striking. He's a solid grappler, kind of relies on his you know brute strength and, and aggressiveness a little too much. And that got him in trouble against Mirsha Cherkinov. But um, I don't think think we're going to see Anthony Smith pull out the miracle submission here, but I will say Crute is kind of like the tailor-made dude for Anthony Smith to beat. Like, young, very sure of himself, very aggressive, has shown, you know, maybe some gas tank questions. You know, he hasn't... I wouldn't say he's gassed. He he, he gassed against um, uh, uh, Paul Craig because he was beating the heck out of Paul Craig for 20 or I guess 10 some minutes. Um, and was finally like just, you know, trying to finish him with Camoras and, and Americanas and any, any arm lock he could try to break Paul Craig's arm with and managed to do it at almost the end of the fight. But um, I don't think, I don't think he's going to have a gas tank issue in this one. Uh, I don't think it's going to get that far. You know, Devin Clark laid into a triangle in his last fight, uh, in Anthony Smith's last fight, and kind of gifted him a win there. But that, that's that's what Anthony Smith made his career out of. He's you know he's found ways to beat some names um, at the tail end of their career, or guys that were on their way up, uh, like uh, Volkan Ozdemir or Devin Clark. So uh, I'm going to probably have a lot of Jimmy Crute, and probably not bother to hedge with Anthony Smith. I'm just going to roll the dice there. <laughs> I love it. Uh, next fight we have on the card is going to be Randy Brown versus Alex Oliveira. Brown's coming in at 8,700. Oliveira's coming in at 7,500. Um, I don't really know a ton about Brown. I haven't seen uh, – I've seen a few of Oliveira's fights. Really curious to see how you think this one shapes out. I mean, I know Brown's coming in with uh, the four-inch height advantage. I think he's got an inch-and-a-half or two-and-a-half-inch reach advantage. Um I don't know a ton about him. I'm hoping you can shed a little bit of light on him. I know he's fought in the UFC plenty of times. I just feel like I've never, I just feel like I've whiffed on being able to watch all his fights. Yeah. Pretty raw product uh, when he came into the UFC, but he's, he's been in the UFC for five years now. Um, 
you know, he came into the UFC at, at, at uh, five and zero. Um, he's physical specimen, you know, very long, very strong. Pretty ripped. The, yeah. yeah, the the technique has been trailing, uh, but he is a hard worker by all accounts. He he's in the gym, he's improving. You know, submitting Worley Alves last time out with a triangle. Yes, Worley was um, or two fights ago. He lost to Vincente Luque mm-hmm. in his last fight, but uh, you know, Worley was severely gassed, which he tends to do after the first round. But uh, still catching a guy like that uh, with, with the triangles, there's some skill there. Um, and he had knocked out Brian Barberina, who was coming off of the Vincente Luque battering. Um, and, and his chin was probably cracked from that. But, you know, still still a guy that's very difficult to knock out. Um, but then he, he ran into Vincente Luque himself last fight and, and got starched. Um, but Luque is a top five guy on striking alone. So um, I'm not going to ding him for that. This fight, not a ton of interest for, for DraftKings, though. The only way I could see it really having any any juice for DK is if one of these guys pulls off an early submission. Um, Cowboy Oliveira, he's, he's pretty sound. You know, you, you got to work to get the submission. Uh, we saw that in his last fight against Shavkat, Shavkat Rachmanov, um, who's a very aggressive starter and, and, you know, took all the first round to get it done. Um, and, and almost didn't. And I would have been very curious if Shavkat had much left, if that fight would have come out uh, for the second round. But, uh, yeah, I'm probably passing on this one, just given it's a hard one to pick and probably not a big upside for either guy. All right. Next fight on the card. Yeah, a couple more fighters. I don't know a ton about, except I might lean the, to the younger fighter here. We have, uh, Dwight Grant at 9,200, uh, versus Stefan Sekulich. Uh, he is an even seven K. Can you enlighten me as to why Dwight Grant is 9,200? He's 36 years old, has a slight height and reach advantage. Uh, I mean, he's coming off a loss uh, in August to Daniel Rodriguez. I don't know a ton about either fighter here, but this was a fight that when I was making initial lineups, I kind of glossed over, unless you can talk me on to either fighter here. <laughs> kind of dog or pass in this one. Like, okay. Dwight Grant is great athlete, very strong, very long huge huge power does not come to fight well let me let me rephrase that does not come to push the pace he's happy to sit back and let his opponents come to him and if it's against a guy like carlo petersoli who just ran at him for an entire round he could literally take you off your feet with a perfectly timed counter and was a sick knockout um but you know, against against guys like Daniel Rodriguez, well, that's not fair. He did he did hurt Daniel Rodriguez pretty good, but Rodriguez came back and knocked him out out of desperation in the first. That was that was a hell of a fight, actually. Remembering it now, um, but you know, uh, Zach Otow beat him in a split decision. Uh, Alan Juban, they just kind of stared at each other, and and Grant managed to pull off the split decision. He's just not a, an aggressor, which is weird because he's got such a skill set that would play really nicely for that with the length and the athletic ability. Um, Sekulic is a, I think Serbian wrestler. Uh, I may, I may be wrong on what country he's from there, but um, he's a guy that is, you know, got one path to victory. Yeah. He's Serbian. He's going to be to grapple. Um, Grant, you know, he's, he's given up a couple takedowns in the UFC, but hasn't been dominated. He hasn't really fought wrestlers though. So I think there is some GPP intrigue for Sekulich just because 
the line is big and Grant is a tough dude and he's got that power. So people probably don't want to stay, don't want to mess with that and might stay away. But, um, you know, if you're only building one or two lineups, Sekulich really isn't in your pool. If you're going to be five or 10, you know, you might want to throw one or two in. All right. And then, uh, the next fight is probably the one you said that we need to be on the lookout for. Maybe it gets pulled off the card. Uh, we have Brendan Allen. Uh, he is eighty four hundred versus Carl Roberson, who is seventy eight hundred. You talked about, and I'll let you kind of elaborate here, but you talked about some like weight cutting or or, or, or reaching the 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 desired weight for this fight. And you think Carl Roberson could struggle? Yeah, I mean, he was supposed to fight Marvin Vittori three times, and you know he missed. I forget if it was a miss his first time or if it was like illness, which, you know, you missed, you botched your weight cut. Um, and then, uh, you know, when they were supposed to fight again, he missed weight and they rescheduled it for, for not that far in the future. And then like, he still missed by a few pounds. It was just like, okay, well we're going to have the fight go on because it's going on. But like, come on, man. Like that's just so unprofessional. You, you can't miss weight like that. Um, and he's kind of got the build to go to 205, but, you know, I, I, he, either his management or, you know, he doesn't want to fight guys that are big or whatever. But I, I think the fight probably goes on. It's a really nice fight to target for GPPs. You've got, uh, you know, Roberson, the striker dude, is is got big power, um, not the most technical striker. And then Brendan Allen, a, a guy who is falling in love with the striking or had fallen in love with the striking, I guess, until he ran into Sean Strickland in his last time out and, and took a loss, a, a pretty lopsided <laughs> loss against a guy who is a good striker in Strickland. Um, but, you know, Allen is a, is a jujitsu whiz. And I don't know why he's ever trying to strike. Like in his fight with Kyle Dalkus, you know, he won the fight. He, he beat the heck out of Kyle Dalkus in the first half. But then like, you know, didn't didn't get the grappling going and, and you know, to take over for the rest of the fight. Didn't get the finish, didn't get a submission. And Dalkus, you know, he knows his jiu-jitsu too. He's he's not gonna be an easy guy to submit and, and is a tough dude. But um, you know, you just don't like to see a, a young guy like that who's got big deficiencies in his defensive striking. Um, you know, Brendan Allen beat Kevin Holland, but just barely. I mean, he was hurt big time, had a big cut, it was bleeding hard. Um, managed to pull off a, a rear naked choke, which in retrospect, not that hard to do to Kevin Holland, or at least to grapple and control Kevin Holland. Um, but we didn't necessarily know that back then. Um, but you know, he, he's got some nice names on his record, some, some decent wins. He's coming along, rushed a little too fast, I think with the Strickland fight. And that was also a weird circumstance. He had, I forget who he was supposed to fight, but they dropped out. And then a week later, um, he's fighting Sean, Sean Strickland. So, you know, they put that fight together with one week for both guys at a catch weight of 195. You know, neither guy wanted to cut Sean Strickland had fought, I think two or three weeks before, um, and his return and was happy to get back in. Cause he had a pretty easy time, uh, with Jack Marshman, but you know, it, it's, it's, that's never great. You don't love that because guys are peaking for their fight. They're, they're, you know, they've been training to have that, you know, that their their bodies peak, their their strength, their endurance, um, their uh, their diet, and all of that, and then like you don't know what you're doing. Maybe you're eating. Maybe you, you know it's just not a good limbo to have that one week turnaround. Mm-hmm. It was a bad decision, and he maybe paid for it. Um, here in this fight, I think he probably cruises if he grapples at all. 
But like I said, big deficiencies in the striking department and a propensity to try to strike. He, you know, he wants to be a striker and, and wants to work on it. But if he gets knocked out, uh, <laughs> that doesn't do him any good. So uh, Roberson, a guy you can submit easily. I think that's what happens. But definitely a GPP fight. All right. We'll try to go a little bit of a lightning round through the remaining five fights from the undercard. Uh the next fight that we preview, Pat Sabatini uh, versus Tristan Connolly. Sabatini, 8,800. Connolly, 7,400. Honestly, both these guys might as well be making the UFC debuts. I believe Sabatini is. Connolly hasn't fought in about a year and a half. I apologize for burping. Uh, I kind of want to leave Connolly here. We've talked in the past about rookies or, or fighters making their UFC debut. They get a little nervous. Maybe they're not as aggressive. Uh, Connolly is 35 years old to Sabatini's 30. Uh, Connolly is the fighter that hasn't fought in the UFC in about 18 months. Um, I don't know a ton about either fighter, but just going off of previous narratives that we've talked about either on other podcasts or with the wager alarm articles that you've released this week, uh, part of me is just willing to take the discount and throw Tristan Connolly into a few lineups here. It's interesting. There's some weird stuff going on with this one. Connolly's coming down to 145. Uh, he hasn't fought there since 2015. His last fight that he beat Michelle Perea in was at 170. Now, I, I think that was maybe a little bit last minute. Um, and uh, <clears throat> maybe, maybe what well, I forget, but um, you know, it was, it was definitely a, we're, we're giving Perea a rub here. We want him to, to get a pretty easy win. And Connolly just came out and gritted his way through. But you could see there was a clear size disadvantage um, against Perea. But then he hurt his neck. Um, and the other thing is, you know, when he beat Perea, that was a fight of the night. Perea missed weight. So not only did he get 20% or 30% of Perea's purse, he also got both of the fight of the night bonuses. So he took home 100K total plus his fight pay, plus 20% of Perea's fight pay. So, like, you know, a guy that had probably never made more than a few grand for a fight is now looking at, like, a $150,000 payday. <laughs> um, maybe not that high, but um, yeah, pr- pretty, pretty close to that. Uh, so, you know, that's – he's a good dude, a hard worker. The neck injury makes me a little skittish. And then, you know, Sabatini is, you know – He's a training partner of Sean Brady, another guy uh, out of Philly. They're both kind of – he reminds me of Sean Brady, like a little bit of a, of, a, of a brick house and, you know, built power, wrestles, boxes. You know, he's a he's a deserving favorite, maybe a little bit too much of a price tag on DK, um, you know, especially in the debut. But somebody I'm interested in, he could have a big performance if Connolly – has any ill effects from the weight cut or the, uh, the the time off. All right, and this is the part of the show where I start to butcher some names. Here we go. Next fight on the card is Dana Batgarel, 8,500 versus Kevin Natividad, uh, 7,700. I'm familiar with Natividad a little bit, not a ton, uh, based on his DK uh, fantasy points per performance. Uh, it's, it's not great, but, I mean, we're only looking at his last fight against Miles Johns, Miles Johns on Halloween uh, lightning round real quick. How do you uh, read this one? Yeah, Miles Johns took that. Or I'm sorry, Natividad took the Miles Johns fight on a week's notice after uh, fighting in the LFA that that, you know, that weekend. So, you know, coming off of a one week layoff of a fight he won uh, and getting back and get, making his octagon debut. You know, one of those weird things. He just did it to get in. Um, got some wrestling. Aggressive striker. He's one of the dogs I'm interested in. 
Baccarel, I, I don't have a ton of interest. Um, yeah, he knocked out um, uh, uh, Guido Canetti in his last fight, but that was like a 40-year-old Guido Canetti off a two-year layoff. So I don't, I don't, he's got nice power, but I don't know that that's necessarily going to be something that's a regular UFC thing for him. But Natividad could, you know, he got knocked out by Miles Johns, a guy that's not a big, a big power puncher. So a um, little bit of an interesting fight for GPPs. Uh, probably more interested in the dog Natividad, though. All right. Next fight on the card, we have Zhu Rong at 9,100 uh, versus Rodrigo Vargas. Uh, he is 7,100. Uh, look, I'm looking at uh, Zhu Rong's MMA typology profile right now, and he's <laughs> rolling in with 10 straight wins. And they've all come in like the last three years. So he's not one to shy away from a fight. He he gets volume, but you know, this looks like it's his UFC debut. Um, I, there, there are actually a lot of Chinese fighters that are featured on this card. Uh, we were talking about that beforehand. Um, he is a heavy favorite at 9,100, uh, against Vargas. Um, I don't know. Do, do you maybe take the discount with, with the UFC vet or, or do you, Fade the fight. Are you leaning into Zhu Rong? Tough one because of the pricing. Uh, I, exactly. I think Rong is going to get the win here. The UFC probably trying to do him a favor with Vargas, a guy that's just a brawler, um, a Mexican fighter that has you know ma- made a reputation for that, and he's a fun fighter. Um, you know he he beat Brock Weaver, but if you can't beat Brock Weaver, like you shouldn't even be in the regionals. Um, yeah, well, he technically didn't beat Brock. Yeah, he lost he, via illegal knee. He need Brock Weaver straight in the face while Brock Weaver was sitting was on there, the cage. Yeah. Like <laughs> all he had to do was punch him in the head one more time, and the fight's over. But he decided to knee him. Um, but you know, so uh, I, I think they're probably trying to give uh, Zhu Rong the rub here. And this is going to be the trickiest part of this for DK. Is you got three Chinese products that are making their debuts here. Um, they're all kind of getting the rub from the UFC, but which of them is going to break 100 points? Um, Rong, the most expensive, so m- maybe not m- the one I'm the most interested in, but Rong's a, an interesting dude. Uh, he's 21. He's got 20 fights. He's been fighting professionally since he was 16. Yeah, um, it's crazy. Yeah, he's was, he was basically, and, and this uh, credit to um, Cody Saftik for, for bringing this breakdown on the Dogger uh, Pass podcast. Um, he basically wrong was brought up in a it's a Chinese system that's basically like an orphanage that you your the parents can bring their children to here if they you know they can't provide for them and they become fighters and like kid was literally brought up to be a fighter and and made his pro debut at 16 um you know he's been fighting probably pretty easy fights for most of his career so this is going to be uh, a step up for sure but it's a uh, it's a winnable fight. Um, Vargas can be out grappled easily. We don't know if, if wrong has any of that, but if he does add some grappling and a finish, that's a, that's a really nice score. All right. A couple of fights to go next fight on the card. Probably the closest uh, price wise. We have uh, uh, Keelang Aori versus Jeff Molina. Uh, Keelang is 8,200. Molina is 8,000. Again, I'm unfamiliar with with both fighters. I know Molina's coming off a contender series win last August, though. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. Do you know much about either fighter? Not really. M- Molina's kind of the little engine that could, um, you know, making the UFC is probably going to be the highlight of his career. <laughs> I don't know that he's going to get a UFC win. Um, 
But we don't know anything about Iori either. You know, he, these last three fighters have all come from the WLF in China. Um, they're fighting people who are like, you know, one and two or 10 and 15. And like, you know, there, there's not a lot of, of uh, they're not being put into the deep waters quite yet. Um, so the UFC is probably trying to give them soft landing spots like like we talked about. Um, but, you know, uh at 8200 aori is is you know he seems like a dude with bad intentions um as long as he doesn't get out grappled and submitted i think he probably wins but we we look for the grappling these days on DraftKings, and i don't know that he's going to out grapple molina um so this is probably of the three of these last fights the one i've got the least interest in Okay, and then on the uh, very first fight, the opener, the Dan Malin special, we have Ariane Carnalosi, uh, 8,600 versus uh, Na Liang at 7,600. Carnalosi uh, hasn't fought since a loss to Angela Hill in September of 2019. Uh, Na Liang has, she has like four fights in that span almost. <laughs> um, again, another newcomer coming over from WLF. Um, do you want any exposure to this fight or are you kind of, if you're, if you're building 20 lineups, how much exposure do you want to this opening fight? Probably one or two Carnasoli okay. and five to seven Lang. Um, you know, Carnasoli, somebody's going to have to explain this line to me. I don't know what she's done to be a deserving favorite other than like be a very jacked and stout uh <laughs> women's straw weight um you know sh- sure like she swings with bad intentions and is probably a pretty strong person um she is also absolutely flat-footed uh plods forward she did nothing in that fight uh, against angelina hill to to make me think she's going to win a ufc fight now it, Maybe that's unfair. Angie Hill is a very seasoned veteran, um, a very good Muay Thai striker, um, and just pieced her apart for, you know, uh, 11 or 12 minutes and then finally got a doctor stoppage with a nasty elbow to the eyebrow. But, like, that's what Carnesoli is. She's going to let you hit her so that she can land her own shots. You know, the only way she knows that she's in her range is when she feels somebody punch her in the head because she knows the other person is now standing still and arms reach away. Um, you know, uh, Lang, we don't know what her striking is like. We do know she's got some grappling background. Um, she's also going to be the taller fighter, you know, bigger fighter. So um, can she clinch up? Can she control things? Um Probably are the takedowns going to come? I don't know because Carnesoli being stout, it might be a tough customer there. Uh, Lang may also not want to play with her on the ground, being that Carnesoli's Brazilian and and you know probably has some jujitsu in the bag. But uh, you know, uh, I just like Carnesoli's going to turn this into a, a a brawl. Like she's basically the strawweight Priscilla Cachoeira, I think. Um, so they're just going to, if they just trade punches, that's great. You know, we're, we're scoring significant strikes. You just got to get the winner right. Um, you know, there's maybe a little grappling mixed in. But uh, probably more interested in the dog because she's a, a pretty affordable price. All right. And as we wrap this up, that's the full breakdown. Uh, actually, that's that doesn't quite do it justice. I highly recommend reading Mike's uh, playbook. It will be out Friday afternoon. Uh, Mike's MMA DFS cornerman video, his wager alarm betting video, they will be up Saturday morning. 
but definitely give Mike's playbook a read. It'll have all his fight predictions. It'll have his opinions on the fights and the fighters that he's targeting. Uh, but Mike, as always, uh, what is your cash strategy this week? I'm assuming that you're stacking um, the main event. Uh, and I guess probably trying to throw Jimmy Crute in there as well. Yeah, I, I think Jimmy Crute's probably the first person I want in there. Um, you know, then it be, kind of becomes a question of affordability. You know, do you want to go all the way down to the bottom of the, the pricing scale um, and one off somebody like Masvidal and, and no Usman so that you could get Shevchenko, um, you know, Sekulich? You know, 7K, he's a guy that can probably make the final bell if he doesn't leave his hands down. Um, and then after that, um, you know, I'm, I'm debating Chris Weidman. I, I, the wrestling's going to be there. Can he win the fight? Uh, it, you know, he, all he's got to do is avoid getting knocked out. You know, easier said than done. Um, but, you know, I, I think I'm interested there a little bit as well. Um and then I'm I'm, I'm going to have to make a decision on Pat Sabatini because you know that's there's potential there. Tristan Connolly's is a guy that can get bullied, but uh, I don't know if I'd, I'd say cash core for Sabatini yet. All right, and uh, favorite dogs on the card? Favorite dog? I think um, you know Weidman's not a dog anymore. I think that line is evened up. Um, Lang is interesting, like I said, because you know. Uh, you gotta be careful just saying the the person's opponent is bad, but if you can get a dog, uh, who's, who's fighting somebody this bad, it's never something to worry about. Um, Natividad, I've got some interest, I think being the aggressor, he could get that done. Um, and then of the three people in the title fight, it's probably Namajunas. You know, if you're, if you're building a cash core, you, you might want to have Namajunas in there no matter what, just cause she could be very popular. All right. Uh, do you think a belt changes hands? They tend to do that in the UFC, and there's three titles on the line. So, you know, the odds say yes. I, I feel like this happened not that long ago, and all three belts were retained, and it was a little bit of a letdown. But, uh, I, you know, I think Shevchenko is is a virtual lock. and So that's between Usman and Zhang. I don't see either one of them losing and you never do, you know, they're the champions because they're so good, yeah. but, uh, everybody can have an off night. Everybody can <clears throat> get, get their chin checked and, and you know, have a quick stoppage or something weird happen. But I kind of think they, you know, it's, it's uh, and still three times in a row there to end the night. All right. Well, Mike, thank you so much for your time. Uh, this was a little bit of a longer podcast, uh, but huge card. We're, we're really trying to push the wager alarm product as well. Give everything that Mike's uh, posted this week a read. Definitely check out his playbook and his, his, his cornerman videos and the wager alarm video. Mike, thank you so much for your time. Best of luck to you with UFC 261 with DFS and uh, your betting content. And best of luck to the FA Nation.